Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Wednesday. I got uh, uh, the little girl, Miss Mila, in studio with me today as we rattle off uh, a little intro to today's episode, another archive episode. Uh, Always enjoy these ones, hearing a life story, hearing some of the wisdom that comes out of it. Um, <laughs> and I got a, I got a four-year-old trying to make funny faces at me to see if she can get me to laugh. And she's done it very quickly. Now, let's get on to today's episode sponsors, uh, the Deer and Steer Butchery. A couple weeks ago now, I got to go out with Barry and uh, help butcher a steer, uh, half of it. And I tell you what, like... That was a cool experience, and maybe one of the coolest, I don't know, weird experience, cool experience, I don't know. You cut up the animal, and then that night, I cooked uh, the family steaks for the first time that I cut up, and I'm like, oh yeah, this this is, hey, I like this. Well, you can have the same experience. Uh, just call 780-870-8700, talk to Barry. He'd be happy to have you in the deer and steer to help butcher your animal, and I think uh, I... I can sit here and say that I think everybody should try it. If you're gonna, if you got the time, uh, you save a bit of money, and on top of that, you uh, you get the firsthand experience of cutting up your animal, which is super cool. They are on Range Road uh, 25 and Highway 16. They are the old Kathy and Norman uh, Jans. Uh, James, that is, family-built butcher shop, which has had a makeover and now, of course, has Barry the Butcher there. Again, uh, give him a call once again, 780-870-8700. Agland. Uh, Agland history started uh, started back in 1957. I am all over the map. I got Mila sitting here singing into the mics. She's all dressed up. She just had her... F- yes, me. thank you, Mila. Uh, <laughs> serenading Agland as they roll in. Well, they started back in 1957 as a John Deere equipment dealer uh, with a staff of six. Today, 60-plus years of business with three locations uh, later, 60-plus years later, they have three locations, Lloydminster, Vermilion, St. Paul, and a staff of over 130. They sell and service John Deere, Brent, Brent, Bobcat, Dagelman, and AA trailers, so all service lines, or all different lines of of equipment. Uh, I always suggest, don't listen to me mess up everything. Go to agland.ca to check out their full inventory, new and used, or give them a call, 780 8754471. Jim Spenrath and the team over at Three Trees Tap and Kitchen uh, with lake season coming here soon. It's it's I mean it's starting to warm up. Certainly here we're we're getting closer and closer. The 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 golf courses are are I've heard of guys going for their first rounds of the year and that type of thing. Well Three Trees is going to be operating the pro shop and restaurant at the Loon Lake Golf Course under the name Three Trees on the lake. Uh, they'll be opening here in May uh, with a bunch of the Three Trees favorites, uh, a couple of cold bevies on the course. Ooh, that sounds all right. They want you to know if you're having a tournament or they're uh, up there or they're happy to host, you know, any special occasion, anniversary, birthday celebrations, that type of thing. Give them a call, 780-874-7625. That is the number here in Lloyd. Please do not take the misses out for supper like this donkey where you get there and it's always busy. I, I swear I got to take my own my own medicine here. Gartner Management is a Lloyd based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs uh, whether you're looking for a small office or maybe it's just yourself or maybe you got multiple employees wade can get uh, you hooked up so give wade gartner a call today 780-808-5025 and if you head into any of these businesses let them know you heard about them from the podcast right now on that ram truck rundown brought to you by auto clearing jeep and ram the prairie's trusted source for chrysler dodge jeep ram fiat and all things automotive for over 110 years 
farmer, collector of antique tractors, husband, and community pillar. I'm talking about Ron Pearson. So buckle up. Here we go. It is June 20th, 2021. I'm sitting with Ron Pearson. So uh, first off, thanks for hopping in. You're very welcome. Now, I always go back with these uh, to the your first memory, right? Um, being born in 1942, uh, it would be a little bit different of a world than we're sitting in today. So when you rack your brain and go back and try and you know remember some of those early memories, whether it's you know early four or mid 40s, I guess, or whether it's into the 50s, what what's something that sticks out to you? Uh, yeah, I don't really remember a lot of, you know, when I was very young, I remember starting school, but, uh, uh, you know, as I was, when I was very early, I, I don't have much recollection. Some, I guess, some bits and pieces, but, uh, uh, not a lot. Well, you know, we, we lived in a pretty small house and, uh, you know, they built onto it so that I could have a bedroom, and uh, that house eventually went, and another house was moved in. But uh, uh, from the time I started school on, I've, I've got some recollections, yeah. Were you an only, only child? Yes, I was. You're an only child yeah. out on the farm. Yeah. What did you do to keep yourself entertained? Oh, boy. that's uh, <laughs> You need a good imagination. Uh, I, uh, I, I rode horseback a lot. Uh, you know, we were we were the ultimate cowboys. Some of the neighbor boy and me would get together and and uh, we tackled a lot of things. <laughs> you know, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, you just uh, you have to have a good imagination and you know just carry on from there. I guess you didn't have cell phones or no, Netflix or no TV. Cell phone. I think of sometimes now when I have, you know, friends and stuff with kids and grandkids. Uh, when I was, you know, maybe in grade two or three or whatever, uh, uh, I, I would saddle my horse and I would go and uh, I'd go over to a neighbor and him and I would go somewhere else and they didn't know where we were or when we'd be back or anything and nobody seemed to worry about it. You know, we showed up sooner or later. I guess when we got hungry, we came back. But... <laughs> Uh, when you when you would go with your uh, your friend, right? You ride, you, you get the horse saddled up, you off you go, you pick up your friend. Where would you guys go? Where where would you? Um, was it down just, to the river? Was it? No, we didn't. Actually, we didn't go that far. They had some interesting pasture land where they were really hilly and a lot of trees, and we could pretend we were anything in there. But sometimes we just rode down the road north a few miles and came back, and we didn't go terrible far, but we could. Spend the whole day at it, you know. And, uh, you um, you mentioned uh, lots of your early memories come from uh, going to school. Yeah, I remember my first day of school. Uh, I went in the school. I don't remember how I got there, to tell you the truth, which is odd. Uh, I don't think my parents took me. Uh, we went to Willow Lee School, which was south and west of us. And I went right into the school and sat down at a desk until somebody came in and said, well, you know, you don't have to do that until the teacher rings the bell. And then I was standing outside, and there was two girls come walking from the west. And I have talked to those people in the last few years. I think one of them's gone now. 
But I asked this fellow that was beside me, the other kid, I said, who's that? You know, and that's it. That's the end of my memory right there of that. But I, that's, I suppose that'll never go. It would have been an interesting, for uh, an only child, to go to a single-room schoolhouse to see so many children yeah, it was running a big, around. It was a big school, too. I mean, not the building wasn't that terrible big, but uh, there was a lot of kids went there. How many, do you remember how many kids? No, I don't. I could probably count them up if I really tried to. Uh, I only went there uh, not even quite two years, and there was another school uh, east of us. Uh, it would have been uh, two and a half miles, two miles west of where the Alcurve store is today. And uh, they wanted to open that school. It had been closed for quite a long time, so they took two kids, myself and another girl from Willow Lee and two other girls from Grainview and brought them to Warwickville. And I think we had nine, eight or nine kids to get started. But uh, I think at Willow Lee, when I was going there, there had to have been probably 15 anyway, maybe. All grades from, from uh, I think, even grade nine, one to nine. When you look back at... Uh well, A, you just said about two miles west of Elkhurst, so you were going a little ways to get to school. That was three and three-quarter miles, yeah. And I, my dad had to buy me another horse because the horse I rode to Willowlee wouldn't go to Workville. <laughs> <laughs> she would go so far and I'd turn around and come home because that, that's far enough. I didn't want to go any further. I guess I don't know what she was thinking. And uh, he bought another horse, and uh, uh, actually south of Blackfoot, and... Uh, got to be good friends of a fellow down there because of that horse but anyway uh, this horse second horse he could run away no matter which way you were going no matter whether I was going to school or coming home if you wanted to go he would go flat out no pokiness he was he was gone somebody asked me uh, this fellow that a friend of mine he said do you ever race him and I said yes how'd you make out I said oh pretty good the race wasn't bad, but it was at two miles it took to get him stopped. It was the hard part, and he laughed. <laughs> His kids had had the same problem. Going back to the first horse, do you remember when you were trying to go? Was it Warwickville? War- Warwickville, yep. When you were trying to go there, the first time he wouldn't go, like what did you do, hop off, or did you, you know, all of a sudden just show I back just up at the house? Hang, yeah, I just had to hang on and go home. And then Dad would chase me with a truck till I got by that spot. And then she would go the rest of the way. <laughs> that That's an interesting day of school. Why yeah. are you late? Well, Dad had to chase me with the truck to get the yeah. horse here. Yeah. He may as well have drove me there to start with. But anyway, so that was. But the second horse, he was he was good. He would run. I run, won a few races with him. Won a few races. Well, I mean, just against neighbors. And some of them that thought they had the fastest horse in the country suddenly found out they didn't. And uh, Was so, that just for bragging rights? Yeah, just, it was never any any prizes or anything. It was just taunt the other guy. And they knew I couldn't hold him. So they edged their horse ahead. I couldn't hold him, and then he'd be gone. Let's see. How many, how many times you fall off a horse? Uh... I don't really remember falling off of them. <laughs> I The last horse I had, I fell off of that one. Uh, I was moving some cattle one day, and 
it was wet and after harvest and uh, one cow decided she wanted to go somewhere else and I had this horse that I had been sort of uh, had to take her I guess in a way but or him and uh, we were going down this hill at a pretty good clip and uh, he stumbled and he shoved his head down between his knees and over he went and uh, I knew that I couldn't stick with this and I bailed off to the side and I slid uh, down the hill with this arm stretched out till I had mud right up to my armpit and uh, I didn't feel it getting up but he was getting up and I thought boy if I don't catch him I'm going to be walking home because he wasn't going to wait he was just green broke and he wasn't going to stay there but that's the only time I really remember taking a bad fall. Do you miss those days of riding horse all the time? Because I assume maybe you still do. I, I... No, it's been uh, 19 years since I rode a horse, and that was at my wife's family reunion in Manitoba. One of her cousins had a dude ranch, so to, so to call it, I guess. And when he found out that I used to ride, he was determined to get me on a horse, and he did. But it's not as enjoyable as it used to be. The bones aren't quite the same anymore. <laughs> um, sticking with the one-room schoolhouses, you know, I've, I've heard different stories about uh, whether it be water and having to, to get the water for the mm-hmm. schoolhouse, whether it be uh, showing up early to, um, for a fire and, and to get it heated up and everything else, whether it be cleaning jobs with the stables or anything like that. Did you have any of those uh, duties? No, I didn't. No, we, uh, I have no idea what, who did what at Willow Lee, but at Warwickville we had a janitor that came and he brought he brought water and uh, and he started the fire in the winter. Oh, some kids would have said you were spoiled. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that was he. He was there for all the time I went there. I think. And how long did you go to work? Well, I started there in 51, I guess, 49, 50. 51 went, uh, went on the bus to Marwain in 1957. So went on the bar- bus to Marwain? Yep. What was it? That must have been a cool uh, adjustment to make from yeah. walking and riding a horse and, <laughs> yeah. and getting chased by the, the truck and everything else. And it was just a one-room schoolhouse. To being on a bus yeah. and being hauled across uh, across yeah. the countryside. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a big uh, adjustment for sure. Uh, I knew some of the kids that were in grade nine beforehand from I don't know just how I did or why I didn't, but so I had a few friends and I made I made lots of friends. It was it was uh, wasn't a bad time. I I think I was fortunate to have had a pretty good crew uh, at school when I say crew I mean like all the kids we were it wasn't a very big school so there was each grade had a room and just one grade nine was in one room and ten in another room and so on and uh, uh, some of the kids that were older than me uh, treated me very well I have no complaints about anybody no no uh, hassles or you know no problems whatsoever I don't think that carried on a long time afterwards I was there, I, I hear anyway. But there's uh, people that, friends that I made then, they're still friends today. 
Now, in going to Marwane, that would have probably been your first experience with multiple classrooms, I assume. Yes, for sure, yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I'm curious, because before we started, you said, you know, you don't look back, or you look back at grade 10 if you would have just stopped then. Yeah. And went on and, and carried on to do a trade or an apprenticeship program, your life would have been would have changed immensely. Yeah. yeah so did sure. you not enjoy school then? Uh, I did up until grade 10. But then after that, it was, I mean, it was, you were, you know, we were sort of told that you had to have grade 12. So I, you know, I kind of stuck it out and, and we had some poor teachers on, you know, I don't think it was totally their fault, but uh, it wasn't just me. There was other kids. Some of them left after 11 and went somewhere else, went to Vermilion or other places to take their 12 and uh, some of them there was one girl that was ahead of me through the whole time and she repeated her grade 12 and she was a brain you know she came back and did it over again and uh, I just didn't want to do that I, I was frustrated and what what was uh, if you don't mind me prying a little bit? What was it about the teachers? Like they were just hard on their marking, or were uh, they disciplined? No, or? they just. Uh, I think the the thing was they they probably should have been teaching in university and not in high school. You know, they were way above us, and we just we, they weren't getting that across to us, and uh, that I I don't know how to explain that. But, oh, uh, really? They were just that high and above, or that far well, and above. I remember the one guy used to fill the blackboards up with the. He was teaching math, and he'd fill the blackboards up with all his all the numbers and all the stuff, and then he would write QED at the bottom. Quite easily done. Well, it maybe was for him, but by the time he got that far, we'd forgot what we asked him anyway. So. Hmm. At, uh, I don't know, I I played a lot of sports growing up, mm. and I just think when you get a good coach versus a bad coach, that's mm. no different than a school teacher. They yeah. can just make or break it for you, right? You have yeah. a great school teacher, yeah, you're going to sure. do well, and yeah. they're going to bring along some of the guys there or, or students that don't get it. You're going to pull them with you, whereas yeah. you get a bad one, even the best students don't like being there. Yeah, I know. I say kids left, went to other schools after that one year yeah. and I, I really didn't probably have that option or didn't think I did anyway. So what did you want to do when you were done with school? You know, you mentioned the apprenticeship programs. Did you have something you always wanted well, to be? Well, I, I, I kind of liked mechanicing. I, one time I thought I'd like to be a partsman. I can remember numbers unbelievable even yet. Uh, I can, I could forget your name before I get out of here, but I can remember numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, I ended up working in a shop and, uh, uh, for a while till but I what I always wanted to do was to farm was to farm yeah which is what you end up doing with your life yeah. then is you, yeah. is you get to do what you want to do yeah I gotta pick your brain then on numbers so you're a numbers guy so what are what are I don't know maybe this is a very large question but what are some of the numbers that stick out to you then in your lifetime well phone numbers uh place I roomed in town here their number was eight seven five three oh eight four Guarantee it. My number at the shop was 3997. Guarantee it. Aglands 4471. Guarantee it. Civic Tires 4411. Guarantee it. So you don't need a phone book 
Because Ron is the phone book. I, now I start to use the phone book because I don't trust myself anymore. But cause when I used to use the phone a lot, the phone all those places, I never need to look it up. I have neighbors. Uh, I still know all their numbers. When you when you graduate, or actually before you graduate, did you did you grow up uh, being active in sports? Did you play? I played ball. Ball. I never played hockey. I was too small to play hockey. And uh, you know, when we got home from school, we didn't have the opportunities to go back to town. You know, and I didn't have any. Some of the kids had grandparents that lived in Marwain, so they could stay with them and partake in sports. But uh, I played baseball. I liked baseball. Uh, I believe we had the championship team the first year I was in Marwain at the track meets. Hmm. Speaking of track meets, this might be backtracking a little bit, but when I was in grade one, I went to the track meet at Streamstown, Alberta. That was Streamstown was our municipal district way back then. And uh, that, I would say, that was my first visit to the big city. <laughs> and uh, I didn't, you know, partake in much sports because of being, you know, young and small. I did some races, I think, and I kind of hooked up with another kid. I have no idea who he was, but we walked down the street to the restaurant and we opened the door. And it wasn't a very big place. It might have been twice as big as this. And, of course, you know what it's like when you walk into a restaurant, everybody turns their head, and we slammed the door and run like crazy. We were scared. <laughs> Going back to the big metropolis of Streamstown for a second here, what uh, what did it have back in the day? Did it have a store and a gas yes, station and stuff like that? it had a like store. That? It had a bulk dealer. It, uh, there was a, uh, the hall. Uh, you know, I don't really remember a lot. There was elevators. There was three or four grain elevators there. Oh, wow. Yeah, three for sure anyway. And uh, uh, now there was uh, uh, Curtis. Uh, there was three Curtis brothers. One had a store in Marwain, one in Streamstown, and one in Lloydminster. And uh, so they had the grocery store, and the, uh, there was a, a BA fuel dealer there, bulk fuel. And I think they had pumps too, but don't remember. I wasn't driving much then, so I don't remember that sort of thing. <laughs> I was just in Streamstown a couple of weeks ago uh, yeah. at the hall. Yeah. And uh, we got looking at the original, what was it, the original uh, diagram of Streamstown, the, mm -hmm. the map. Yep. And, uh, and got talking about it. Uh, Streamstown back in the day must have been, you know. Yeah. Well, it was a bustling little community, I think. It at one point. At one point, yeah. Interesting uh, over how how over time everything has been pulled. You know, in this area, has been pulled into Lloyd, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything's yeah. coming to Lloyd. Sure. Marwain. When I first went to Marwain, even when I was even younger than that, there was uh, what would there have been three car dealers, uh, three implement dealers, two lumber yards, uh, uh, seven grain elevators. Uh, and it's down now to just a bedroom community. Yeah. Two grocery stores, meat market, two restaurants. Uh, what did you do when you're done with school? You're done with school. You're no longer going to school. You're now working. Uh, you said farming was always your was always your dream. Of you wanted to run the farm. 
What did you do after school? Where did you go? Where did you work? Well, after I was through school, uh, first summer, and that would be in here, I guess, if I can look at that briefly. Yeah, for sure you can. If I can follow this just for so I don't get lost. Uh, I, uh, I worked... Uh, well, I had I kept I used to work for different farmers when I was in school for for quite a few years, driving tractor, working summer fall, raking hay, those sort of things, and uh, actually bought my f- first car. I had a little pickup truck, but I bought a car with the money I saved from working all my summer holidays. Didn't go to the lake, you see. What what type of car did you buy? Well, I'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a 1954 Ford Crestline which I discovered many years later was a rather a rare model. I bought it from Stieg Brothers Sales, and they were east of here. They were in the in a clearing in a bush on the east side of Big JSO. Okay. That was out of town. And uh, I saw, uh, if I can use names, if I'm allowed. Sure. Ted Stieg at the, uh, in the Dr. Cook one day quite a few years ago. I was visiting a family member, and uh, he was just sitting in his wheelchair by the door, and I stopped and talked to him. How are you doing? So on, and I said, uh, I bought my first car from you. He said, was it any good? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a very good car. But uh, I should have kept it longer. But you always want to have something newer, you know. You know, uh, talking about working with uh, always want something newer, isn't that the truth? Um <laughs> Talking about helping all the different farmers, though, I assume uh, when you talk about uh, tractors, was that open air? Open air. Oh, tractors? absolutely, yeah. There was no cabs. Nobody even knew what a cab was then. Were they steel tires, or rubber tires? No, I don't think I run was on rubber, fortunately. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I spent a lot of time on uh, Model D John Deere's, which weren't a particularly comfortable tractor to ride on. Well, you know, if you could go back there and just transport me and the listener there. What are some of the things you remember about the open-air uh, tractor bouncing around the, the fields? Uh, gee, I don't know. That's uh, I, I put a lot of hours in doing that, and uh, I used to go with this one, two brothers that farmed close to us, and we've been friends forever. They, they actually took me to school when I started school, I think, to start with. And I would go there uh, end of June and work summer follow with a Model D and an 8-foot tiller. And uh, then they would start putting up hay, and I would rake hay. And uh, then we got the hay done. I'd go back on the summer follow and get that done just in time to go back to school. And uh, was a lot of watched a lot of seagulls, I guess. And uh, it was lonely out there. You know, there was no, no radio, no cab, no. Uh, just go to work and drive it all day and have a lunch kit with sandwiches and just just you and your thoughts as you slowly trudge along yeah i did a lot of when i not so much i guess then but when i was farming on my own that's where i did all my planning you know when i was on the tractor planning Uh, for the future or planning for the next days yeah well all of that next day uh harvest whatever is coming up uh i was fortunate uh well, I, I uh, see if I can back up a little bit here. In, in, in 1961, uh, when I'd worked in town here at Faber Brothers Farm Equipment, and uh, I 
quit in the fall and went out to help my dad combine because he, he was a lot older than me and and uh, I, I sort of knew if I didn't stick around some I was going to lose it and uh, made a deal with another f neighbor who had a lot bigger combine that I would haul grain for him and he would combine for dad and it was a nice open fall and after we were done he got a job custom combining and we went and did that and uh, he taught me a lot about running a combine, setting a combine, uh, a lot of stuff that you really kind of need to know. He let me run the combine, you know, I was, I, that's how I really got experience with combines and uh, it proved to be pretty significant in a few years in my life. But uh, the next year I got a job, in 62 I got a job driving gravel truck. Our first job was uh, straight west of town here where they straightened out the road first at Blackfoot. There used to be the two, some people called them suicide corners, and they built the road the year before. They built the grade straight through for about two and a half miles, I think. And we hauled gravel from north of Eiley to put on that road to put the base for paving. And I didn't run it on there all the time as other guys drove the truck too. Uh, some big days, drive sometimes 500 miles, uh, you know, narrow old Highway 16 with no shoulders, uh, but again, I made friends, you know, and, uh, it was, it was interesting, but did a lot of gravel in town here, like I said, to basements because there was no, uh, no cement plant, no mixer trucks, so it was all mixed on site by hand, and, uh. I hauled gravel to the uh, that separate school that's behind the mall. We had to go down south on Highway 17, somewhere maybe where the co-op is or maybe even further south, and then come back through the trees to the school. And I distinctly remember this, telling somebody, what on earth are they building it so far out of town for? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, 65, I, they gave me a new truck to drive, which was kind of nice, but I didn't stick with it. I, I, I'd taken time off to help my dad seed, and uh, a fellow that was a salesman from the local case dealer had changed hands by then, and he stopped in to see, you know, chit-chat, what do you want, uh, do you need anything, and so on. He was a nice old fellow, and I think he was a pretty successful salesman because he didn't push it. And I must have told him that I had worked at case at one time, and a few days later, he was back, and he, he said, uh, we've got a job for you if you want it. So I, in probably June of 65, I came into Lloyd, worked at Parkland Power and Equipment. And uh, it was good. Uh, it was a good job. I liked the work. I liked the people I worked with. There was five of us in the shop. One was a shop foreman. Uh, they were very good to me. They they shared their knowledge. They They trusted me. Uh, I did everything. I was the flunky. I delivered tractors and combines. I uh, I washed tractors. And by winter, I did major engine overhauls. And they, they, they were, of course, there was always somebody there keeping an eye on me, you know. They, and if they knew that if I was stuck, they would, I would ask, you know. And uh, one particular job that I did, I was kind of proud of. I guess I, they fell us towed a tractor in it it had had a major wreck and uh, anyway they 
one of the fellows that was working there took it all apart. They sent the crankshaft away to be reground, and uh, before it got back, he quit. And uh, we got parts in boxes all over the place, and the shop foreman said to me one day, how'd you like to try to put that tractor back together? Well, I did. I had to back up a few times because he, going through stuff, you find, whoops, find something that should have been in a little bit sooner. But I got it together, and it went back out to the farm, so... That was kind of good. Uh, I gotta, I gotta ask then. Uh, no, uh, like you, you didn't have any degrees in no, mechanics. No. Well, that's how you learn. Then you would, you generally you worked on site for a year. Then you would go to school for a couple of weeks. Uh, maybe go to uh, Calgary or Edmonton. Calgary was the main place then. Site. Did you ever think about, uh, I mean, you're doing major engine overhauls. Did you ever think, maybe I should go get my schooling for this? Well, uh, I probably would have, uh, you know, but uh, things took a major twist in the spring of 66. I had a chance to rent some land close to uh, the home place, and uh, so I did that. And uh, as some people would say, the rest is history, I guess. I've been a dirt farmer ever since. Uh, one, before we get into the farming, I got the other thing I was wondering is you mentioned you travel, uh, drove gravel truck. Mm-hmm. Did you need your class one back then? Uh, well, yes, but it wasn't a class one. I had a B class license, which lets you drive anything but a school bus and a taxi. Wouldn't allow you to haul people, essentially. No, that's right, yeah. And, of course, there was no super Bs or anything like that then anyway. But a class B license would let you drive semis, any kind of truck. The reason I bring it up is, you know, today, in order oh, no. to get your class one, it is a, yeah. a lot. Yeah. And I was, just had Dad in here before you, and he was talking about, uh, uh, I forget what truck he said, Datsun maybe? I can't remember. It was a stick shift. He said it wasn't a big truck by any um, imagination. And uh, he that's how he got his class one back in, yeah. that would have been uh, late, nah, probably mid-70s is when yeah. he got his class one. Yeah. I, I eventually updated to a class one, uh, but uh, I had to. I had to take a. I took the test with a semi, but I had been driving at lots as a. I was going along as a swamper, and I could drive as long as with the class three, as long as the guy with me had the class one. I could drive as a learner, and that was actually a good way to do it because I learned. I learned from watching him. I learned from experience, and uh, so uh, I. I can't remember when I got my class one back. Probably early '80s, I'm thinking, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah. But yeah, when I when I got it first, all I took was my dad's one-ton truck. And away you went. Yeah, that's all I needed to get the class B license. Well, yeah, I, I guess uh, once again, uh, the reason I bring it up is because today to get your class one costs mm-hmm. a little bit of money, actually yeah. a little bit more than a little bit. Yeah. And. Uh, you got to jump through some hoops. Essentially, you got to take yeah. some hours of training and that kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. and it sounds like back in the day, it was, can you stick shift? And if you can, <laughs> here you that's, go. That was about it. Yeah. And uh, uh, I know when I when I updated from the class three up to the class one, uh, I uh, I had a truck from uh, well, it was Tingley's then, the John Deere, and uh, the guy got in. You know, we got in the truck to go, and he asked me a few questions, and we took off down the street and went through a few things, and 
and I'm expecting some stuff that I wasn't real sure of. And he said, well, we may as well go back to the shop. He said, I can see you've done this before. So that was the, that was it. That was it? Yeah. When, no. I, when I turned 65, I let it go. You I'm, let it go? I'm not using it anymore. Uh, I didn't have my truck anymore. I had my own semi for a while. And uh, I didn't uh, I didn't have the truck, and I I didn't really want to drive for anybody else. So, well, fast forward then. Uh, you say you get the opportunity to rent land, and you'd always wanted to farm. So that must have been like when you saw that thing coming out. You must have been yeah, it's yeah. time. Yep, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, and uh, of course then I uh, in uh, that was in '66 in '71. 1971, I bought my first quarter of land. Did it myself. Oh. Nope, nobody helped me. It, well, I mean, I had help. Uh, I had a bank manager that had faith in me and believed in me, and uh, uh, he lent me the money. I had borrowed it, from, bought the land from the credit union, but they couldn't lend me the money because it was a Saskatchewan credit union. At the time, they weren't cross-border shopping, I guess you'd say. <laughs> but... Uh, Mind yeah. me asking, can you remember what a quarter of land cost back then? I paid, I bought two quarters that year. I paid 14000 for one and 13000 oh. for the other one. And, uh, uh, and, and at the same time, I rented more land. It was a little more secure. Some of it I rented for, uh, oh, I don't even know how many years, years and years and years, 25 yeah. years probably, and uh, from, from family, from relatives. And... Uh, does it ever, uh, can you believe how high land prices are these days? Mm, well, no, not really. It's, uh, but it, it's, uh, everything is the same way. Uh, uh, this $20 plus canola, I've never, ever seen that before. Uh, we sold barley last winter for five fifty, and I think it's actually been higher than that, so, so, uh. I remember hauling barley to the co-op feed mill. It, it was uh, 270, which was a really good price. This had been early 80s, and they dropped the price to 270, and I kept hauling. They dropped to 260, and I kept hauling. They dropped to 250, and I thought, yeah, I'll wait, see what happens. Sold all that barley that was left the next year to uh, uh, a neighbor for a buck and a quarter. That was a valuable lesson. I never held on to grain ever after that. Uh, it was a good thing during the 80s when the interest rates were high. I used to sell grain as quickly as I could get it moved off the farm, put the money into a savings account. And there was times I was drawing uh, 18 19%. I, made, I remember telling somebody one time on my canola, I made 10 cents a bushel per month over winter. Well, that was, that's easy money. And it never did go up to match that any time. So, I mean, and like this year, it's gone up a lot. But uh, then, I guess in 1978, I bought my first antique tractor. Wasn't that terrible old? And uh, it looked nice, but we knew when they had it running. It was at an auction sale, and there was some problems with it. But I bought it anyway and uh, uh, scared myself because by the time I got it all fixed up, uh, it, it cost me a bit. I mean, nothing like doing it now, but uh, uh, 
I, I scared myself. I was guilty. I felt guilty about doing this. You know, that's that. This is not a good thing to be sunny at. And uh, so anyway, I didn't buy anything more for a few years, a couple of years maybe. And I got over that guilt, and I, I've been buying ever since. Well, the last ten years maybe I haven't done much. What was it about antique tractors that well, that uh, you know like? Well, because I drove them all when I was younger. You know, not all of them. I mean, this one I'd never had. I, this is one I, that one I bought at that sale. That's one I wished my dad had. And what was it? An Oliver 880. And uh, today I've got an Oliver 880 in the shop. It's a different one, but it that was the first one I did, and this one that's there now is probably going to be the last one. And uh, I just got it. For myself, that right there. Hmm. Well, mine is not a tricycle. It's a, it's what they call a, a Wheatland, the standard front axle. More like that, then. Yep, that would be it, yep. And that was the Cadillac back in the day, then? Well, it, uh, I don't know whether it was a Cadillac. They never really had, Oliver never had a good dealer organization in Canada, so they weren't a big seller here, but uh, some. In the uh, U.S., they call the U.S. Midwest, there's a lot of them there, yeah, close to the factory. I always find it interesting what, what people get into, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know. I, well, that, see, that was one I wanted when I was younger and never got it, so then I had a chance to buy one. I, and I thought, well, I'm going to use it. That was my my uh, justification for buying it is that I can I can use this. And uh, But anyway... So do you like a tractor with a cab, or are you... All, like, all the antique stuff I have is no cab. No cab. But uh, right now I have a little field of summer follow for next year's crop, and uh, uh, I have one of the leftover tractors from my farming days that I kept. It has a cab, and I, I really kind of like using it to do that. Uh, the old ones kind of, the novelties kind of wore off a bit. What do you think of all the new tractors and the size and the computers uh, and the... I don't know everything. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's 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 happening. Doesn't matter what we think about it. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff uh, stems from it. Uh, uh, the guys that rent our land now. They, I mean, I get to ride in their stuff once in a while. I used to a few years ago. I would run the grain cart for them at harvest time, and uh, but it's uh, and I've run the combine. You don't even have to, uh, you just sit there, turn around, push a button, and the header goes down to the right spot, and and uh, you just sit there till you get to the other end of the field, and then you got to push a button again so you can turn around. Uh, it's it's strange. It really is. Well, I, well, the hard part for me now is getting in them. Just because they're so big. So high. That, it's just unbelievable. I'm not scared of heights, but geez, that's hard climbing up that ladder. The guys bought a uh, track tractor this spring, and uh, it's neat to get in because the steps just run up on a gradual slope over top of the track, and uh, that was really easy to get into. But uh, yeah, so the the uh, you know all the the technology. This is what I didn't know what to think about. You this questions about surreal. Yeah, and I didn't know 
what I thought about that or what I could. And my wife helped me out there. She said, well, what about the new all the technology? And I guess if that's surreal, I guess that's is because I it, it just blows my mind what what can be done. I was riding with the, the guy one day and they were seating and we were talking away and he of course doesn't doesn't have doesn't have to watch anything you know and uh, then he looks over at this monitor and he says whoops I missed a spot and when we come back down the field he went over and and he, he said I would have seen that you know it was he wasn't blaming me but it was the fact that he was a bit distracted come over a sharp hogback hill and the thing tripped out of ground out of the ground so it quit seeding from there to the end of the field but he could go back and seed that strip exactly what he missed i mean sheesh i had chains come off the seed drill a few times always along the road where the neighbors saw your strips and you know but uh, you didn't know about it mostly until you'd gone a little bit further or sometimes not till the grain came up but uh oh, <laughs> I may have missed some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's uh, sprayers, unbelievable. Just uh, you know, the, the technology just just the trouble is with when something quits, you're you're sunk, you're done for. Last fall they had a swather they left sitting outside for a while, and a squirrel got in the tube across the back of the frame chewed off a wire and by the time they got figured out what that was wrong I'd forget it cost them thousands and days and by the time they got it fixed they didn't need it it's straight combined everything they usually swath canola but that got straight combined because they didn't have a swather because some wires were chewed off and uh, you know it's when you look back at fixing all the old equipment you used, what was the best fix you had then? Oh, golly, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I built, I, it took me a long time to pick up this one model of tractor. And uh, uh, when I got it, it, it was bad. It was rusted solid. And it took me two winters, I think, just to get it apart. And I have rebuilt that tractor from the ground up, everything. Wheel bearings, kingpins, brakes, engine, total engine, pistons and sleeves, water pump, generator, uh, gauges, steering wheel, seat. It looks kind of rusty yet, but uh, I'm not going to paint it. Uh, they're only original once. Hmm. But that was a big job. Very big job. I'm working on uh, just your attention to detail to stick with it for that long. Yeah. It's always impressive. I got friends who rebuild old trucks, and mm -hmm. oh, they got their little, you know, I've never been the mechanical guy. I'm not a, uh, I destroy things. I would not be given a <laughs> tractor uh, engine and be like, hey, could you rebuild this? Maybe. You probably don't want me doing that, yeah. right? So it's interesting to hear you talk about all these different things and, and how I don't know you, you you fell in love with some old old tractors and then yeah. that's become a lifelong yeah. passion hobby. Yeah. How many how many do you have? I I think about sixty. You have sixty old tractors. Yeah, not all running. There's a few of them that are uh, were projects. Uh, when I started buying them, I wanted to have something to do when I retired. 
just that retirement's <laughs> not going to last long enough. That's, the, um, but uh, yeah, this one I'm putting together now. Well, I've I've got it all together. I'm just waiting for the well time, I guess, to, that I can get it started, and then I have to retorque the head bolts. And that all. I'd rather have a cool day for doing that. And that's probably going to be the last one. What's one of the, maybe the best lessons or, or maybe uh, even tagged in with the best lesson, maybe a mentor? Is there someone in your life that really uh, has helped you along the way or given you a piece of advice that's really been beneficial? Uh, there would be a number of people, I think, that I would uh, They'd really helped me a lot. I don't know whether I should name them or not, but uh, yeah, there's there's people that uh, some of them are gone. Most of them are gone now. Uh, yeah, they uh, like you know when I uh, I guess I I probably skipped over that a bit when I I talked about running the combine when I was first out of school and when I worked for Case, they put a real push on to sell combines and they sold about 30 plus combines that year which was kind of unheard of and I did the PDIs on if not all of them very close to all of them and I went out to the farms when the guys started combining I would be there if not the first day probably the second day or something just to see make sure they were everything was going good and and uh, I made some friends over that uh, farmers that were friends for the rest of my the rest of their lives they were all older than me so all gone, but uh, yeah, it uh, to that fellow that gave me the uh, instructions on the combine, he helped me an awful lot. In the end, they they knew when I started working on combines that I actually knew something about them, and that gave them then they trusted me to go out and set a combine for somebody. And but uh, yeah. The old tractors. That's I. I did a an interview one time for the uh, uh, the paper, the the source. And uh, but when we we do the toy show in town here, I've been involved with that since it started. And uh, I I said you know asking me things like you are now, and I said well, it's like it's it's a disease. It won't kill you. Your wife might. <laughs> but it it you know it's just a. So I have about, I know I have over 200 pieces of toys, tractors, machinery, as well as the big ones. That's a lot. Yeah, well, I had have friends, had friends that had a lot more than that. But uh, You bring up uh, your wife. You mentioned you've been married 31 years. Yeah. Um, how did you guys meet? Uh, actually, she worked in the Smitty's restaurant down in the mall and uh, my mother liked to eat in Smitty's and uh, we kind of got together on July the 1st 1988 and we had supper together and the rest is history I guess. What is uh, I'm always I always love to ask you know 31 years of marriage what is what does that tell you? Uh, I don't know well we we're, we're very uh, very similar we we like the same things we think think alike on a lot of stuff uh, uh, she does all the gardening I work the garden in the spring and after that I'm not allowed in there 
that's her her domain and uh, uh, the other day she was hilling potatoes and uh, you know that's uh, she'll dig all the potatoes herself she'll dig a pail a day because if I go and help I want to do it all at once and that's work so uh, but <laughs> that's work. She doesn't want to work. Well, I mean, that's that's big work. That, that, d- that takes the enjoyment out of it. That takes the enjoyment out of it, yeah. I know exactly what she's saying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Did you guys ever think of having kids? Uh, well, I had a problem many, many years ago, and the doctors told me my, my chances of being a father were slim. So we would have at, you know, I mean, that we, we thought about adopting and uh, tried to go that route once, but... The hoops to get through just discouraged us, I guess. And uh, so we didn't follow up on that. But uh, neither one of us were, t- you know, I was 45 when I got married, so not that that wasn't been a deterrent, but. Uh, uh, Old enough that it, it made you question them about yeah. whether or not to go down that road. Yeah. I hauled grain to a guy at Acadia Valley uh, back in the 80s, I guess. But anyway, uh, one day he asked me in for for dinner because I'd usually get there about 11 o'clock in the morning. And uh, uh, he he introduced me to his wife and kids. It must have been a weekend or something because kids were there. And uh, he said he was 45 when he got married. He said I was old enough to know better. But uh, I never really believed that. But anyway, uh, he was a good guy to deal with. I, I hauled quite a bit of grain to him. Um, you'd mentioned going back to your, uh, your harvesting, you'd mentioned, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know the word for it, but I'm going to call it historic harvesting where you, you have people out and you do that. You haven't been able to do it in the last couple of years, but that's become, uh, something I suppose you look forward to. Hopefully you oh, get oh, back. For sure. Yeah. We, I've, I've seen it this year, you know, uh, last year I let the, the, guys that are renting it they just combined it you know they seeded it and combined it because and uh i had a couple of years where i i wasn't quite as uh gung-ho i suppose this was in in march 21st of 2018 i had a heart attack and uh i uh but i'm i'm thinking i'm back in the swing of things now i've got my mind straightened out and uh uh that that was uh uh kind of major shock I guess uh, more ways than one but found your way back yeah that's I was uh, having problems for well that first year I was pretty good but then we had a really wet fall and couldn't do it and then next year was kind of that way in 19 2019 I just wasn't, uh, or, yeah, I guess, well, last year, 2020. 2020, I didn't think anyone would come out anyway, so we didn't worry about it. But this year, I hope we'll, we're going to do it. it. It's just, it's fun. I just uh, stand back and watch these guys go, and I just got to, well, I, the guys at Renter Land, they give me the seed, and I, they lend me a truck when we're combining, and we put the grain in the truck, and they get the grain. Cause what am I going to do with it? And uh, 
So my crop looks really, really good right now. It's looks fantastic for being as dry as it was to start with. Have you ever thought, because you, you've grain farmed now for, geez, 50 years? Something uh, close to that? Yeah, well, it was uh, 73, it was in the barn burn, 74, I sold the cows. So from then on, it was straight grain, 75. That's 25 and 20, that's 45 years. So for 45 years, you've dealt with the weather and everything else. Have you ever had moments where you just went, what am I doing? No, <laughs> surprisingly not. Uh, 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 I had a uh, fellow that I knew many years ago. Uh, uh, he, he had a hard time dealing with harvest. In fact, he, he uh, committed suicide many, many years ago. And that was a that was a jolt to me too. But uh, uh, harvest never bothered me. If it rains, so what are you gonna do? You know, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you can be mad, you can stomp around, and but you can't. Uh, there's nothing to do about it. So you may as well relax and enjoy it, as one of my old neighbors used to say. And. Uh, that was uh, I. I never, uh, never thought about quitting or doing something else or just, uh, just the way things go. You know, it might be one of the things I don't understand about grain farming. I grew up on a grain farm or a mixed farm, I should say. Yeah. And then by the time I got old enough, uh, we were out of it essentially. We sold off all the machinery. We'd uh, rented out all the land to be, you know, and and now. Uh, as I'm older, we run. St uh, my oldest brother and my dad run steers on all the land, mm -hmm. right? So cattle, and we just have never gone back into the grain farming. And as an older guy, I just look at grain farming. I just it it, it feels like so much gambling because what happens well, if you for sure if if you don't get rain? Now you got rain. Now now you know maybe we're getting too much rain. Yeah. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Yeah. All these different things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's uh, I, I don't know. You just have to be a a certain kind of person to deal with that, I guess. Uh, uh, one of the questions you had in there was about who was my biggest influencer, or yeah. my, my mother. And she was very steady, very calm. Uh, I learned a lot from her. She had very little education, uh, moved around a lot when she was young. She was born in Canada, but her parents came from Minnesota. And we uh, we do go back to Minnesota and visit there periodically. Where whereabouts, if you don't mind me asking? Minnesota, uh, uh, Painesville. Which would be where in you the know, state? Saint and Minnesota. It's about an hour west of Minneapolis. The reason I ask you is my wife is from Minneapolis, so okay. we we go back to Minnesota quite a bit too. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to yeah, cut no, in. Not a problem. I uh, I had. Uh, I had a cousin that farmed near a place called Greenwald, and just a little small town. If you blinked, you'd miss it, but that was their telephone. They got their 100th year plaque, farm plaque, in 1964. Wow. That's where my grandmother was born and raised. Uh, I don't know whether he's still farming or not. I haven't. We don't. We've never talked on the phone I, I don't know whether it's uh it, it's a bit of a family trait i think a little bit but some of the ones down there we do visit with a lot i try to get to see him when we're down there 
the last time we came through, we didn't have time to go around by his place, but he uh, that their original homestead was a quarter section, and he rented another quarter, and that's all they'd ever had. And he he milked uh, eighty cows. And uh, they they were nice people. We don't you know we only got to know them the last I don't know how many years, but uh, uh, nice people. His wife's a super nice lady. She said. She always said when she was younger, she was never going to marry a farmer, never mind a dairy farmer. She said, look where I am, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she's, she's super nice. So I, I hope they thought they had a daughter that was going to take over the farm, but she didn't want the cows. So it's, I, I've been surprised they haven't driven up here because uh, it's maybe six or seven years ago they sold all the milk cows. And, uh, but the son didn't want a farm. They had one boy and two girls. And, uh, when you talk about your mom as being the uh, most influential person on your life, what were some of the things, you know, you, you said steady and calm. and yep. What are, what are the, some, some of the things that you, um, obviously calm and steady, but what were some of the things she taught you or in well, passing? I mean, it's, it's amazing to me what she knew about playing baseball when she never really had a chance to do that much. And, and there was a lot of other things. I can't even really think of anything specific now where uh, she seemed to know stuff that I didn't think she would have known. And uh, uh, they uh, they moved around a lot before they got to Lloydminster, and they moved in a few places here. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, she was just uh, she was a rock. That's no matter what. I always find it interesting about the. Well, D- Dad, when he talks about Grandma Newman, actually all of us Newmans talk about it. Grandma Newman was the the matriarch of the Newman mm-hmm. family, right? She yeah. was the rock, to use yeah. your word, right? Yeah. And if you remember Dora, she just she yeah. was always out and about, always doing things for yeah. the community for. Yeah. Family, friends, everything. She always had time for everyone, and yet she was a no BS lady. She lay, yeah. it was black yeah. and white with her. Yeah, yeah. Mom, my mom did a lot of work with the Alcurve Hall when they first started building that, and and afterwards, you know, things like turkey suppers and all the things they put on. Uh, interesting time too, I guess. That was our, that's where I learned to dance. You know, uh, was the Alcurve Hall. Yeah, it was built in, I think, 58, I think. And, uh, yeah, we used to, we had a, there was a band, a local band here called the Western Aces. And they were good, they were popular, and we, I think they were under kind of, a, it would have been a handshake deal, I guess, but they were under contract to play at the hall every other Saturday all winter. And, uh. They were good. They, they got $55, the whole works of them. $10 a piece and $5 for the guy that had the station wagon. And, uh, yeah, they were they were good. The Elk Curve Hall was a bump in place back it then. It was, yeah. Yeah, it went to a lot of dances. It went to a lot of dances in Hillmond, too, Hillmond. And uh, the odd one at North Bend, 
that was a good place to go to dance too. People were really friendly there at North Bend, and well, they all were. I mean, there was no uh, unfriendly. I don't think anywhere. But uh, uh, I said the first time the guys took me over to North Bend, if they'd left me there, I'd have been still there trying to find my way home because there was no Highway Three, and and uh, I don't know how we went Rex Green Street, you know, here and there and around, and finally got there, but. You bring up Rex. There's a, there's a an elevator still there. Mm-hmm. Was Rex just a stop on the railway, or was I, there I, more to it? I don't know that. I think there was a store there at one time. There was two elevators there that I, I remember hauling grain there for somebody, and uh, just about couldn't get in the elevator. Uh, but yeah, it was two elevators, and I, I'm sure there was a store and a post office. They would have been together probably, and. Uh, there would have been, you know, at least a couple of houses. The elevator men would have lived there. Uh, I, I don't remember much about Rex. Uh, what sticks out to you about the railway back in the day? Like, I, I you know, when you go back, yeah. the train would have been not a spectacle, I mean, but at the same time, it was a big part of life back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was, uh, I mean, it was important. The CP train came through Marwayne. And we could hear the train whistle lots of times. I suppose they were over in that Streamstown area from home. And uh, when uh, we got the, mom and dad got the power put in, I think that was, I think, 55. And the first thing mom wanted was a fridge. I mean, that that was the most important thing. And uh, one of my cousins who lived in Edmonton said he would buy one up there and they put it on the train and we picked it up in Marwayne. I don't even know if you could have bought a fridge in town here till you, at that time. You know, I don't know that. but uh, uh, And that fridge, it was called a Roy, which I'd never heard of before, I already sense. And uh, many, many years later, she wanted another, new, she wanted a newer fridge. And uh, a neighbor that was a bachelor, she gave him the fridge. It's still in his house today, still running. No kidding. No. I'm not joking. Well, when they say they don't make things like they used to. <laughs> That's true. I that think. is true right there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So it is It is old. And it looks old, you know, when you, you walk in his house. I, I, I notice that. But, I mean, I know the fridge anyway, but, I mean, it, it looks out of place because it's old. Still chugging along. Yeah, it still works, yeah. Brought in on the train to Marwayne. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. Did you ever yeah. take the train places? Oh, yes. Uh, in 1951 and 1953, we went on the train out to B.C. to, I don't remember what order we went to things. Mum's sister lived in New Westminster. We went there. Dad had a niece at Langley. We went there, and he had a sister in Kelowna. I think we took the bus back from... Langley back to Kelowna, and then I don't know how, maybe we went by bus up to uh, Salmon Arm and then caught the train back from there, I don't know. But we were on the CP train once, left here in the morning, and we got out by uh, Stinking Lake, which is north of Streamstown, and uh, the engine and the tender jumped the track. And we were there all day. I would have been about I mean, 9 or 10 years old or something like that. 
And uh, I often wondered, never asked Mom, what, what did you do with me? You know, everybody just sat in the train because couldn't do nothing. And it took all day before they brought a, uh, got another engine from somewhere and backed it all the way out from town here, out there to hook onto the back of the cars and brought it back to Lloyd. And then we got out at the CP station and walked over to the CN station, got on a train there and continued on. A little day late, but we were still going. So... Was that a fun way to travel? Uh, you know, I don't really remember that much about it. Uh, I think it was probably better than the bus because you could, you know, you could walk around quite a bit on the train yeah. and go around. But uh, I went through that spiral tunnel on the CP train and where you're coming out of the tunnel and you can look back and see the other part of the train going in the tunnel. And uh, yeah. Which would have been an interesting feeling. Yeah. What have you thought about uh, the last 16 months, you know, COVID and everything else? We've lived uh, through something. Yeah, you know, uh, I feel very fortunate to be where we are. I can go out and mow grass all day and nobody cares, you know. Uh, we're not really as, iso we're isolated, but not as isolated as some people had to be in town. Uh, we, uh, we, we lost a friend here, I guess, about a month ago. He was a few years older than me, and he, he'd had one shot, one vaccine, and, and he died of COVID. And uh, uh, he didn't go anywhere. He, he just stayed in his house in town here. They got him out to get the one shot, but he wouldn't go. And I, you know, I don't know if they've ever figured out how he contracted it. His wife was negative, was negative then, is still negative. And... Uh, uh, my wife talked to her one day and she said they just don't understand because he never went anywhere. He was just absolutely terrified to go anywhere because he had asthma and he thought if I get it I'm going gonna, gonna to be gone. Mm. But for us, uh, we just, uh, we, have, we have friends with this one neighbor that, uh, uh, that has the old fridge. He was one of the guys that took me to school in, in early days and uh, uh, I phone him every, well, at least probably every couple of weeks or so and uh, just touch base with him and how are you doing, how are you feeling, and blah, blah, make sure he's still still there. And our mailbox and his are side by side, so if his mail doesn't get picked up, I'm going to go and gonna be going to have a look. But otherwise, we, you know, we just, it hasn't been a whole lot of difference. To life before. No. We don't come to town quite as much as we used to, but that's okay. I don't really mind that. Uh, so, if you could go back to your twenty-year-old self and give him some wisdom, if you'd listen and take it, what would you? What would you go back and say? Oh, when I was twenty, I don't know. I just said, get out of this truck and go do something else. But anyway, I guess uh, I'd have been hauling gravel then. But it was interesting. I mean, I. I, uh, everything I did was interesting and I learned and I met some really nice people. From my gravel hauling days, there was the last friend I made just passed away this last week. And, uh, you know, I, we were, we didn't visit or anything, uh, you know, our families, but uh, we'd see each other once in a while and have a good, 
good little visit on and and uh, I liked him a lot. I think he it was reciprocal. I think and uh, you know what that was I would have never met him if I hadn't been driving the truck and uh, Frank Tuplin if I can mention names he was yeah a, for he, sure you can he was a he was a he was a good guy to work for. I, I didn't work directly for him. I, the truck I was driving was leased to him. And uh, But uh, another man, Gordon Thiessen, he passed away a long time ago. Really, really good guy. Is it not the, obviously, hard isn't the right word, um, but, I don't know, strange or whatever word you want to slide into there with... Uh, with having friends pass, you know, you're getting to a stage in your life where you've mentioned oh. a lot of people have oh. have, uh, yeah. have passed on. Yeah. That has to be, you know, uh, go back to a word we used earlier about uh, technology and, and equipment. It's got to be a bit of a surreal feeling to see friends and family pass on. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, the fellow that died from COVID, I, I had, I, I knew him for a long time. He worked in town here and actually did end up farming out north of Hillmont. But, uh, he worked at Civic Tire and he worked at RGR Noise and places that I was at. And uh, I knew him for a long time, but I got to know him very well probably since I retired. And he went to the mall every day for coffee. And I didn't go every day for coffee, but every every time I went, he was there. Yeah. And uh, we became good friends. And I, I uh, it was a real shock. And this, this fellow that died the other day, I, well, I talked to somebody that, you know, lived in the apartments close to him, and he told them a few months ago that he he didn't have much time to live. But I had talked to him last year, and he was just seemed like the same old guy, you know. And, but something is, they discovered something, I guess, probably a cancer, and and uh, but uh, yeah, he was. I I uh, we went to actually my cousin's husband's funeral, and this is a long time ago uh, too, but. We were going south of town afterwards. He was buried out at uh, a little country church. I uh, forgot the name of it now. South uh, east of, of, well, be south of McLaughlin, I guess, probably. And when we were going south, there was a, a line, you know, the line of funeral, the procession, and there was a truck pulled off onto the side of the road onto an approach. And... Uh, when we got there, I thought that's you don't see that much anymore. You know, that's what we were taught to do. That was one of the things. Was if you meet a funeral procession, pull off the road, take your cap off. And uh, we went, but we met this, got close to this truck, and there's this fellow sitting there holding onto his cap. And I said to my wife, "I know that guy." I said, "He's got to be the only guy left on the road that'll do that anymore." You know, but uh, yeah, he was. He was a good guy. I liked him a lot. He was a good, good guy to work with. Your final one. Over over your lifetime, you know, you mentioned Lloyd and things being, why would they build things out there it's so far out of town and everything else? Obviously, Lloyd has expanded exponentially cool. since yeah. then. What is what is maybe, is the biggest change to Lloyd been its size or people or what's what's something yeah. that sticks out to you that yeah, way? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, I have a picture that I bought at a garage sale in town here, and I'm going to give it to the archives uh, at some point. You know, when I 
get tired of looking at it. But uh, it's been framed with glass over it. It was really nice. I only I think I paid $4 for it. And I said to them, you were going to sell this? He goes, oh, no, nobody wants it. So I did. Somebody had taken a picture out of an airplane from the southeast part of town. And the trees at the Weaver Park that are this side of the Weaver Park, the spruce trees, they look to be about this high. Huh? Uh, there was a bus and a car on the highway. It was gravel. There was a grader coming by the hospital, and that'd be 48th Avenue. That was gravel. When you went east of 48th Avenue, there was outhouses in the backyards. And it was probably taken on a Monday because there was laundry hanging on the lines all over the place then. Was and, dumb question then. Was Monday laundry day? Always was considered laundry day, yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't think my, my wife doesn't do that. She just does a... We don't have a ton of water either, so, you know, it's do some today, some tomorrow, whenever you think about it. But uh, we have friends in town who live in apartments, and, and uh, they have to do the wash on, on uh, Mondays to be able to fit into the, the scheme of things. So, but anyway, yeah. You would have you had, uh, you know, you mentioned outhouses too. I didn't even think of this. Going back, you mentioned getting power out on the farm. Yeah. I bet running water was... Well, running water, they put water in in 19... Hmm. I think, I don't know, I want to, I don't actually remember, about 1970 maybe, we were a long time after some other people did, but uh, yeah, it would have been 71, and it was so dry that spring that we almost quit seeding, by the end of May we almost quit seeding, we thought this, we were starting to seed canola, because all we grew then was Polish canola, and uh said, this is never going to come up. But anyway, we kept seeding. And in later, after we were done seeding, it started, well, uh, plumber came from Marwain, and he, putting the books in, and he had our yard all dug up, and it started to rain, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. And uh, we couldn't, I had summer fall that never got worked till July, and because uh, we, we just couldn't get on it. And... Uh, mess. Our, we've got really, really heavy clay. You could hardly walk across the yard. Your feet got so big that you couldn't lift them after a while. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. But that's how things change, as you, where you can be so dry one minute you don't know what to do with yourself, and up to your knees in mud the next minute. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming in and sitting and doing this with me uh, on this afternoon. Hopefully it's still a beautiful day out there. Yeah. Well, I hope so. We get our we go for our second shot of vaccine on Wednesday. So, but I'm not planning to go anywhere. Uh, one th one thing, if I could, if we yeah, have a couple of minutes, I mean, we definitely do. You bet. Uh, I uh, my dad was born in Tyndall, Manitoba. Uh, what did I do with that page now? Uh, Oh, it stuck together. His parents came from Sweden. I tried to find out a little more about that. Uh, we were in uh, Pier 21 a few years ago, and oh man, uh, couldn't believe how many Eric Robert Pearsons came to Canada between about 1895 and 1920. And we had his birth date, but we just they couldn't couldn't track it down. 
But anyway, they, they came to Lloydminster in 1906, and Dad was born, I say, 1905. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of things that I should have asked about this what, when, and where, I didn't. Uh, but uh, my grandfather had a 110-horse case steamer, which was, that was the biggest farm engine they built. They made a one bigger than that that was supposed to be a road locomotive, but it didn't pan out. And he pulled a 12-bottom plow with that, and they did custom plowing. I don't know whether around Lloyd here or whether they did that after they moved out in our area. They were north side of the gully for a while, and then they moved to a mile west of where we're living now. And uh, uh, somewhere along the line, that's where they did the plowing. He had a also had a second steam engine that they ran a lumber sawmill with up north. I've heard Horse Lake and uh, Government Crossing. Some people up there, older people, uh, Edgar Mapletoft, he knew about them. Uh, but uh, my dad had had his steam papers, and I still have that. And uh, my dad and his older brother were the they were the engineers on the on the machines. And uh, but uh, they uh, they moved out to Kelowna when I before I was born. So when we were out there twice, as I said in the fifties, I I met them, but I don't really have a a memory of them. Uh, Somebody said one time that my grandma was always cranky. And somebody else said, well, they had power and running water when they left Sweden. Can you imagine what she felt like when she got here? You know, no wonder she was cranky. But uh, thumbs the hazards, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I... Uh, what, it w what it would be to ask... Um, you know, if you could reverse time, because you know, Dad and I just literally talked about this, to talk to some of those families who immigrated and had to take the train and then the horse yeah. wagon and everything yeah. else to get here to be, yeah. live in what they did live through. Yeah. That was not an easy trek. I read a book last winter called The Revenge of the Land. What an education that was. I mean, I've read the books about the bar colonists here and stuff, and yeah. it's, I don't know how they survived, to tell you the truth, but uh, that book was amazing. It's amazing. The lady that wrote that book did an awful lot of research, and uh, it, uh, it, it that there was a piece of ground there in, in that area near Moose Jaw that just seemed to be disaster, you know, people lost it, uh, they, their family split up or their wife died or the husband died or, and at the end uh, a grandson shot his grandparents in, in, in the house on there. That, that was the end, sort of the end of the book. But uh, that whole history of that land going from, and I can't remember the years that they, they, this, the murder happened, but uh, I think it was in, you know, in this century, in the 2000s, and uh, but going right back to about 1880, that that piece of ground was just disaster. You know, not anything that could go wrong did. You know, yeah. And uh, it's it's a it's a phenomenal book to read. I'd recommend it to anyone that's interested in that sort of thing. Cool. Well, I, once again, 
appreciate you coming on here and uh, and sharing a bit about your life and everything else. It's always enjoyable to uh, you know so, hear about someone's life and the things that have impacted them and some of the wisdom they've taken out of you know yeah, yeah. your lifetime. Well, I I wasn't sure when it was Linda, I guess, wasn't it, that phone? That's me? correct. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I've known Vic for a long time, but uh, I had never met her. And I made me think, like, what do they want to talk to me about? I mean, I, I'm a, kind of a nobody here, but... Uh, Everybody has their story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir, again. Hey, thanks for tuning in today to the podcast, folks. Uh, certainly enjoy... Uh, yes. What do, you, what, do you th- what do you think of Dad podcasting? Good. Just good? Well, that's my daughter. Thanks for being awesome. (laughs) I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode. And uh, certainly, if uh, you just stumbled upon it, leave a like, subscribe, uh, pass it along, leave a review. Appreciate it all. If you want to support financially, there is a, a Patreon account link in the show notes. Regardless, we'll catch up to you guys Friday. So go kick some ass. Enjoy the week. And, well, we'll see you Friday.